Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Press YOIZ, your favorite Canadian gaming podcast. You can catch the show weekly on youtube.com slash pressyyz, live on twitch.tv slash pressyyz, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or on your own time on your podcast service of choice. Before we get started, as a reminder that we here at Press YYZ stand against discrimination of any kind. And while we appreciate however you choose to give back to our show, there's no better way than to support us than being excellent to each other. So yeah, um, we're back for another show this week. Uh, I'd like to introduce my cast this week. This week we've got Cozy. Cozy's running the numbers again. How are you doing, Cozy? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I got a haircut and it certainly is an experience getting one of those after more than like seven or eight months or whatever. Which one did you get cut? Uh, that hair. Which, which, which hair? The, 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 the top hair, the, the hair on the, top the, of the one hair scalp. on the top, the one, yes. the one hair on the, okay. Okay. Now I follow. Got it. Okay. Well, and that's AJ, the fully vaccinated one. How are you doing, AJ? How are you feeling? Give me two more, two more weeks to, to cook in the oven and, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be fully appropriately vaxxed if you will. That's exciting. Um, yeah. F- fucking finally. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm yeah. hopefully, I don't know. We'll see. We'll, hopefully we'll be able to push ours up. London is not a hot spot, so they are not fast tracking vaccines here yet. But I'm hoping with the progress that we're making that uh, we'll be able to get get them sooner than later. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So, guys, uh, let's do a bit of housekeeping here first. Um, now, I am a dummy. And initially tweeted that I would be doing uh, Mario Golf tomorrow night. But as I've realized, tomorrow night is actually Canada Day. So we're once again going to move my stream to Friday. I feel like I've done that for quite a few weeks in a row. And I'm hoping to get back to normal Thursdays next week. Um, That being said, if you do want to play Mario Golf with me, I'd love to play with you. I'm pretty solid at it. And I'd love some good competition. Um, So yeah, let me know. And uh, we can set up to play on Friday. Uh, cozy, you're streaming Monday. I take it. Do you have any ideas of what you're streaming? Yeah, I, I'm not certain what I'm going to be streaming on Monday on account of me having very mixed feelings on what I streamed last Monday, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Ooh. Okay. Well, a transition. Um, all right. Well, uh, with that being said, then let's transition into what you were playing this week. Cozy. Yeah. Uh, so this past Monday, uh, I decided, you know what? Uh, on last week's episode of Press YZ, we talked a lot about the Nintendo 64. We talked a lot about the uh, consoles, you know, great library of games. And I was like, you know, it's real weird that I never played Donkey Kong 64, considering that, you know, I was such a huge stand for the original Donkey Kong Country trilogy on the SNES. Uh, and so... Sunday night, the night before, uh, I downloaded Donkey Kong 64 on my Wii U. uh, And Monday night, I played that game for two hours and some. And I I really don't know how I feel about this game, you guys. (laughs) I think that Donkey Kong 64 has... Uh, a lot of good stuff going for it. Uh, Obviously, you know, graphically, the game does not uh, hold up quite as well as some of its kin, Um, but Mm -hmm. it's still very kind of lush and uh, cartoonish. Uh, A lot of uh, Kong's animations, you know, while again, not really holding a candle to the animations of games of today, still feel very kind of punchy and uh, I think appropriate for his character. Um, 
it's um i it's not i, I it's was not about to, I, I was trying to think like what's another good thing about this game that i can state right up front and nothing came to mind unfortunately i mean look the game is not it's not a bad game but mm. it is it's it's a nintendo 64 era platforming game that has a crap ton of collectibles and some real annoying platforming segments uh i will say uh, to actually to to say another positive thing about the game thus far it's not been overly difficult to make my way through it uh each uh, level of the game is quite maze-like but um despite that i was able to figure out how to get to the first boss of the game beat it and kind of move on to the second area um but it's just I don't know, guys. I don't know. Well, Donkey Kong 64 is one of those games. I remember playing this back in the day and it just, it didn't feel, especially compared to what Rare had been doing, it didn't feel like the product they were used to putting out. Banjo was before this, right? This game yeah, after like Banjo? So. Yes. Yeah. It was in between the two Banjo games and Conquer was their yeah. last game. Yeah, that sounds, right. um, that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah, and I think they they went too hard on the collectibles after the success of Banjo. Because um, they're like, oh, this is a formula that's working. And that allowed them to, and well, I haven't played Banjo 2. I know it's still well thought of maybe rein that back in. Because this seems to mm. be the black sheep of the N64 rare games. Um, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Considering it's a Nintendo property. Well, the, and that's, that's what's really weird is because I look back on my time with that game when it first came out uh incredibly fondly but you know that could be partially because it was uh also the second n64 that i got in that sweet uh jungle see-through green mm. that ooh that things were and you know it came with the the game uh in that yellow cartridge that yeah yeah it was just yeah there was something special about it back then but yeah it's it's really surprising kind of to see that they could have they could fumble it it's you know again it, it's you know by the standards of its era certainly not a bad game uh it's just it, there are a bunch of little things that kind of irk me well one thing that irks me is that so relatively early on in the game you get uh donkey kong's coconut gun uh control scheme it fires is, in spurts and yeah if he shoots it, you it's gonna hurt Hell yeah, uh, which uh, I was really happy. I I'd completely somehow forgotten about the DK64 rap, and I was really happy to see that at the beginning of the game. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, DK has his coconut gun. It's pretty powerful and pretty punchy. Um, shortly after getting DK's uh, coconut gun, you gain access to Diddy Kong, and you gain access to Diddy Kong's uh, peanut pop guns. And I was like, okay, cool. Another you know set of firearms that are probably going to function pretty differently. But in my experience, and, the, uh, you know, I want to stress that I have not, like, really put the mechanics of the game uh, to their limit. But, like, the peanut pop gun struck me as being incredibly similar to DK's coconut gun to the point that they basically just felt like the exact same weapon. And it's like, well, hmm. I mean, why even give DK this weapon to begin with, you know? Yeah. Like, I... It, well, because everything back then had to have a gun, right? Yeah, it's just it's this really weird thing where it's like, you know, we talk about how there are, you know, so many collectibles in the game. There are yellow bananas for Kong. There are red bananas for Diddy Kong. But then also each character has 
moves uh, that are incredibly analogous uh, to each other to the point of uh, being almost exactly the same as well. And it's like, yeah. you, you could have just consolidated consolidated all of this into like one character or maybe two really different characters, but yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, I, oh, go ahead, AJ, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, I, I'm reminded of, go figure, it's me here. Um, there was a giant bomb feature back in the day called uh, Steal My Sunshine. And this it, it, it happened a couple of years ago at this point. And they, um, uh, what they did is they uh, played Super Mario Sunshine and uh, they would place these bets like with this gumball machine that they had and you know you would uh you would twist the crank and whatever and if if a, a certain color of gumball came out you know you would have to do things like in this pass the controller kind of uh feature they tried to do it again with uh dk64 uh but were <laughs> just just decided like in the middle of it that they were done <laughs> and they they put like they they instead of still my sunshine they called it burgle my bananas which is a great name first and foremost mm-hmm. um but, but what amazing name yeah and and you know they they had this uh if you got uh, whatever the big collectible is or whatever you got to buy something from the funky shop you know funky kong shop yeah and yeah. um it would be like a power up for you the human to use uh on like against another player while they're playing or something like that. Um, and one of them was just uh, swap out to Super Mario 64 and play that instead. And then they did that. And that was like the last episode of Burgle My Bananas because they just never went back after that. It was so speaking good. Of, um, speaking of Funky Kong. So, you, you know, it's funny over the course of this conversation, I'm finding all sorts of little things here and there about DK 64, which I actually do genuinely like and think are great about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing I appreciate about DK 64 is that there are a lot of uh, returning characters from prior entries uh, in the series, both allies and enemies, some which are noticeably absent, like uh, Dixie Kong from DK C yeah. two, for example, but outside of her, lots of returning characters, including funky Kong. However, you know, Funky Kong in his prior iterations was a funky dude. He was a surfer slash mechanic that was, you know, chilling on those positive vibes, so to speak. Pretty but in this mode. game, yeah, in this game, he's like, he joined the military, it would seem. Like, is this just like a natural, the natural road that you head down when you are a surfer that turns into a mechanic? Because I'm, I don't know how to, how I feel about it. I, I I have no uh no idea about the ins and outs of the deep and storied lore of the Donkey Kong universe. I guess the question yeah. is is do you want to create a new character to fill that role or do you want to have somebody come back and fill that role? And if so, do you modify their personality to fill that role? I, honestly, I think I'm uh, I'm more content with having an existing character fill that role, as weird as it might feel. I feel like, see, the problem, right, is that uh, Rare never made another Donkey Kong game after Donkey Kong 64. Yeah. Or did they do some ports? I mean, p- like ports aside, like they never made like another mainline, 
you know, unique Donkey Kong entry. And I feel like there could have been a great opportunity with said successor to kind of like address Funky Kong's weird evolution, um, but they never did. Um, last good thing, though, that I'll say about Donkey Kong 64 that came to mind over the course of this conversation is that, you know, like I talked about earlier, I was able to get through the first section of the game in about two hours. The game doesn't seem, at least thus far, like it's going to be the longest game in the world. It seems like it's not trying to outstay its welcome if you're just trying to beeline it, which is more or less what I was trying to do. Uh, uh, and so what I want to ask you guys is, do you think that I should stick with it? Do you think I should, you know, hold out that I'll, you know, find these, you know, little sparks of hope and enjoyment, like we've been talking about over the course of this conversation and see it through? Or do you think I should drop it and move on to greater jungles? Give it one more try and just see how, see how you feel about it. Would be my suggestion. I mean, there's, You're, everybody's allowed to have their opinion and everybody's allowed to get tired of doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, um, when I was growing up, if I was full and I hadn't finished my plate yet, I wasn't made to finish the whole plate, mm-hmm. but I had to take at least one more big bite mm-hmm. before I finished. Just... Just to make sure. So, if you if you if you think if you if you take one more bite of this game, you're just gonna throw it up all over the place. Don't bother. But if you think you could get one more mouthful out in there and just just find some something flavorful of value, then I say give it one more shot. Hell, even if it's for half an hour of your next stream. And you're just like, nah, you know what? Crack this controller in half. Let's drop Actually, back into Apex, baby. Whatever you want. I would love Hell to see yeah. a cozy rage quit midstream. I think that yeah. could be I, entertaining. I came, I, I came very close to rage quitting at the end of my last DK64 stream because I was trying to cross a very narrow passageway as Diddy Kong and the game was just not allowing me to do so. So you, you, you might actually very well get your wish, Nathan. I, I don't... I don't know whether I'm going to stream it or not this upcoming Monday, but I do think I am going to give it at least one more shot. Okay. I think you guys convinced me. Just think about the Twitch clips that you could get out of that. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> not that we should do it for the clips, but I'm just saying if it does happen and you have a rage quit, it would probably be amusing. That's all I'm saying. So isn't that a Limp Bizkit song? Do it for the clippy. Oh, I wish. Oh, man. Significant Other Y'all is a great album. I just <laughs> want to put that out there. Okay. Or no, it's just Significant Other. It's Two Dollar Bill Y'all is their first album. I know I know that album, like every single word. Oh, yeah. Um, that was big when I was a kid. For better or worse? For better. Always for better. Okay. Um, okay. So, okay. So we've talked about Donkey Kong 64. Cozy, we'll come back in a few minutes to talk about a few other things. Um, AJ, why don't you tell me Hi. you, you were playing the Halo Master Chief collection last week. It looks like that's continued this yeah. week. That, yeah, that's continued. It's, it's been absolute comfort food, um, uh, for me in the last week, uh, or so, you know, in anticipation of, you know, getting the second vaccine and whatnot, you know, I needed 
something good to unwind with. Um, but yeah, uh, Halo remains uh, the constant uh, good thing uh, in my life. And um, uh, I will say the Flood are not, uh, not good things. Uh, the Flood are obnoxious. I hate them. Um, something I'm discovering. So I'm, I'm playing through... When I'm playing by myself, I'm playing through uh, Halo 1 currently. Yep. Um, and, you know, I I just finished the the control the library, and now I'm trying to kind of, like, destroy the reactors and stuff and, and escape. Um, and I just got to back to the ship where I know, spoilers, they're going to find uh, keys again. Um, yeah, go ahead, Cozy. Do it. Um What? Yeah. Do, I was going to say do the spoiler thing. Spoilers. Oh, oh, got it. Yeah, it's it's been a couple you, episodes since we've you oh, know, you activated were, the spoiler thing of Bob. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, there you go. Um, I no, it's yeah, it's a it's a really good feature we have here. Um, <laughs> no, the um, I, I'm just about to get to the part where where keys uh, where you find keys uh, again and. Uh, there, there's like a whole section of this game that I just completely forgot existed. Hmm. Um, and it's it's the part, like, after the teleporting onto the ship where Chief is accidentally upside down, because that's just the coordinates that Cortana put in, and, oh, it's, oh, it was supposed to be this way, and he falls to the ground. A good slapstick humor, knee slapper. Um, it's... <laughs> The the part right after that where you drop into the valley, I have completely blanked that whole part out from my memory. Possibly because, as a kid, like, I played through it one, once or twice um, uh, as a kid and as a teenager. But only up to, usually, when, it, when I would get the urge to start again, I would only play up to... Um, I'm blanking on the beach level. I know what you're referring yeah, to. It's though. the fourth level. Yeah, um, the silent cartographer. Yeah. Silent cartographer. That's. I, the I don't know how I pulled that out of myself. It's yeah. Uh, regard. Yeah, uh, I, I would usually Oof. only play up to that point, or I would play the final mission uh, where you're doing the escape uh, from uh, the Ma, if you will, um, and that one's also really good because you're driving that freaking warthog until you escape uh, as best you can and or or you don't and you have to redo it over the course a thousand of times minutes. yeah yeah of course um i mean that that was the case even back then can i ask but, you a um, question aj go ahead when you play that section of the game the mod do you just drive by the like interpass where you're supposed to wait for that one lady to pick you up because you know that she's not going to be able to um, no, I, as somebody who really likes and appreciates the story, um, of Halo in general, I, I definitely wait, s sit there and wait for her to fly over, uh, Fohammer and, you know, she doesn't make it obviously, but, um, I just appreciate the story of the game in such a way I like to be immersed in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so... 
for, for those who uh, are, are curious, again, you know, deep Halo spoilers, but we are in spoiler mode at this point, so you should probably know that. There's this part at the very end of the final level of Halo Combat Evolved where you briefly stop the Warthog that you're inside of so that you can be picked up by Fohammer, or so you believe, because Fohammer gets basically gunned down and dies, and you can at that point continue onwards because Cortana indicates, hey, we found this other uh, ship that you can get into that will allow you to escape the Halo ring before things go bazook. Um, but you can actually just like skid through that ent- entire section of the game because whether uh, the sort of pseudo cutscene plays out where Volhammer dies or not, you can still continue going forward. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I salute you, uh, AJ, for doing that. Uh, but mm-hmm. I did not do that after that the she... second attempt. Yeah, I mean, it. if I were, like, playing on Legendary or something like that, I'd be trying to get through as fast as I can just so I can make it. Um, but, you know, I'm just playing it on normal because I want to enjoy my time as well as can be. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to eventually continue on to the second one. But I've also been playing uh, some of the Halo uh, multiplayer with a couple of friends, um, old high school friends and you know that was what we used to do play the halo multiplayer uh and that's been a a good time in itself um very cathartic uh very very nice to get back to i really hope they do a test flight of halo infinite soon so i can play the absolute shit out of it did they say when the beta was coming has that been announced they they what they announced was um that you could sign up for these betas okay um and um yeah you you could sign sign up for them and and they would notify you when they're going to be available and you know you uh if you sign up for the pc one which you can just sign up for all of it all at once you have mm-hmm. to kind of put in this your your pc specs you have to go to a certain oh website and, and fill it out no you have to go to a, like a certain command prompt yeah. in your pc and and run you know run something that generates a text file so they they can just get get a, a feel for your specs um uh specifically um but oh i should probably do that for my laptop too just to see because then maybe i could just download it hmm. i don't know um but yeah the um yeah hope hopefully they they do that um something i i remembered while i was uh playing uh the multiplayer of halo um we we had this uh me and a friend had a, a, a good battle on a, Re- a Halo Reach map. And, you know, I didn't play a lot of Reach multiplayer. Okay. Because I absolutely burnt myself out the summer before on the Halo Reach beta. When uh, Halo Reach originally came out, mm. fi- like finally, in I think it was September of 2010, um... I played the shit out of the story, and then I played a little bit of multiplayer, and then I just kind of never went back to it. But it's one. It's I guess it's one of the risks you run um, when when you put a, a part of the reason there's like not a lot of demos these days is because people were actually like trying the game and realizing oh this isn't oh for you me. know what I uh, this isn't for me rather yeah. than just buying it right and then that's sort of you know, bit them in the ass, but, you know, it was super consumer-friendly. Halo Re- Halo multiplayer and Halo Reach multiplayer was absolutely, for me, I just burnt out on it 
before the game even came out because of that. Hmm. Yep. All right. So, yeah, that's Halo okay. again. Well, hey, <laughs> Halo's exciting. Hey. At some point, I need to play it. I don't know when I'm going to do that because I keep finding other things to play. But well, e- Even if you just play it on easy. Yeah. Um, just for, just to kind of get through the story, by all okay. means. All right. It's, a, it's an absolutely valid way to play it. Nobody's going to tell you otherwise. Okay. Um, Cozy, let's jump back over to you as you've been uh, playing a different type of Spartan, a little Astrobot virtual Spartan. Tell me about it's, Astrobot's uh, rescue mission. It's an, an interesting way to describe Astrobot. I don't know that I would describe Astrobot as a Spartan uh, or, wait a minute, his name is Astro, right? Yeah. Do we know that his last name is Bot or is it just Astro? I think it's just Astro. What that were the names right. of those things when they were just in the playroom on PS4 when it launched? I mean, they were probably just called PS4 Playroom. Yeah, I know. Does Um, does the bot bot specifically refer to the fact that it's kind of humanoid looking? That makes it a bot like a robot? Oh, maybe. Because in Hmm. the Playroom, it was just a floaty head thing, right? Yes. Uh, No, no, no. There were lots of little guys in the Playroom. No, they were the same. I'm just trying to remember now. Anyways... Uh, yeah, Astrobot Rescue Mission. So here's the deal, guys. Um, I got my hands on a PlayStation VR unit back in, I want to say, like 2018. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been a minute. And right from the get-go, while I was excited to play all manner of PlayStation VR games, it was pretty obvious that, oh, man, this VR unit is a little bit cumbersome to set up. There are a lot of wires or a lot of boxes that you have to stick into various things. Um, and while there are some pretty quality experiences for the console, like uh, Beat Saber, which was an early PlayStation VR game that I played a lot of back in the day, um, the you know quality of resolution of the screen is not as perfect as it is. And if you're wearing glasses, you you know have to do even more adjusting than you normally do when you put it on. Um, And it's for that reason that at the beginning of 2020, I kind of just sort of let go of the PlayStation VR unit I had and didn't really go back to it. Um, I briefly consulted uh, my PSN profile's profile a second ago, and I believe that I last played um, the game that I just made, that I just mentioned, Firewall Zero Hour. Did I just mention that or did I imagine that I just mentioned that? I think you imagine that you mentioned it. I don't remember you saying that. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for keeping me sane. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The the last uh, PSVR game that I played, according to PSN profiles, was Firewall Zero Hour, and that was in February of 2020. So my PSVR unit's been collecting dust for a little while now. Uh, And I'd always meant to kind of come back to it because... uh, Back when I had the console and was using it actively, I went ahead and purchased Moss and Astrobot Rescue Mission and the other like classic PlayStation VR titles. Yeah, or or you know obtain them via PlayStation Plus or other promotions or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a result of me slightly reworking um, my work uh, slash study space, uh, it's been easier for me to basically set up my PlayStation VR and allow myself to be in a more relaxed position uh, when using it. And so I decided on a lark this past week to uh, start playing Astrobot Rescue Mission. And 
lo and behold, it's a really, really great-ass game. I believe, Nathan, you had talked about this game uh, on the podcast in the past about uh, how much you enjoyed it. Uh, and yeah, it, it really does live up to the hype. This is like like just s- such a superbly designed platformer with so much sort of great personality. And it, it does the Mario thing where every single level, there's some sort of like new mechanic or new gimmick or new uh, thingamabob that makes it feel oh so different from the rest, even when there are certain things that are being like repeated and reused here and there. Mm-hmm. They find new ways to use it, which is really neat. Um, yeah, Astrobot's one of those really special games. I think it showed what VR can actually do. Um, to me, it's like the Mario 64 VR. And there's very few VR games, which I think have been able to meet this. Because I think when we thought of VR, we just thought first person like shooters. And like first person mm-hmm. games in VR. Um, and nobody had really considered platformers. Did you, um, yeah. did you ever try Moss? Have I played Moss? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's a really good one. It uses a good mm-hmm. like storybook like perspective. Like it's, the whole thing looks like a pop out book. Yeah. It's really um, cool. Moss is really good for that. Um, Ghost Giant, another really good game. Uh, that's a smaller indie game, but it also has that pop up book feel. Um, and that game makes you feel things like it does some really interesting story, um, like has some really interesting story stuff with it. Um, there's a like if you're willing to dive down the PSVR uh, hole, I've got a few recommendations for you. That's all I'll say. For sure. I, I do uh, want to wrap up Astrobot Rescue Mission first. Yep. I'll definitely consult in you when that time comes. I um I still highly recommend uh, playing No Man's Sky that way um if you i've heard good things about it yep yeah it's yeah it's it's absolutely fantastic like, like yeah it's a first person it's a kind of a shootery thing but you're more mining resources um and you're flying a ship and what it does with even even the move controllers um on psvr is mm. super that cool. was another another factor in me not using psvr as much that you constantly had to keep a couple of playstation move controllers constantly charged luckily Mm -hmm. i was able to get two ps uh move controllers before it became impossible to find them and i have the means to recharge them but like that was yeah that was another factor would it make it would i sound really sad if i had the original ones from the playstation playstation 3 when they first launched yes what i mean i'm I'm pretty certain that both of my move controllers are from that era as well. You'll know whether they're micro or mini USB on the bottom. The newer ones got updated with mini uh, or micro USB. The original ones had mini USB, which is that thicker charger. Yeah, I'll I'll have to check them out after the show. Uh, I I will say, uh, you know, uh, there are very few things uh, that I found myself criticizing as I was playing Astrobot Rescue Mission. I will say, you know, unfortunately, uh, I do get a little queasy from time to time playing the game. But obviously, it's I would not really describe that as a fault of Astrobot Rescue Mission. I'd say that by and large, the game does a good job of making mm-hmm. me feel relatively not queasy. That's really more of an issue of human anatomy, if anything. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a fault of your biology. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing that I will say, and this is not a criticism so, so much as it is something that I feel kind of weird about. Um, so, you know, last year, like everyone else, I played um, Astro's Playroom, the yes. PlayStation uh, 5, you know, I- included 
uh, game that basically takes you through a Astrobot inspired adventure where you encounter all sorts of icons uh, from throughout PlayStation history. And I remember really kind of loving that game at the time and kind of praising uh, Team Asobi's, you know, uh, design acumens and uh, overall visual style. And as a result, it's been really weird to kind of come back to Astrobot Rescue Mission and be like, oh, man, like so many things uh, in Astro's playroom were like lifted directly from Astrobot Rescue Mission, from the assets to the enemies to the way that uh, Astro moves about his environment to even like a ton of the music. And like, I still think Astro's playroom was a great uh, pack in PS5 game, but I feel like it almost kind of slightly lessens my appreciation of what that game did now, just knowing how much of it was based off of Rescue Mission. See, I'm okay with that because not enough people played Rescue Mission to begin with. So for sure. them to reuse those assets to like create something that was incredibly different for PlayStation still and a packing game. Mm. There was no charge to it. I was fine with that. So, yeah. And people heralded, heralded that game as the best packing since Wii Sports. Although in theory, it might be the only packing since Wii Sports. But anyways. Yeah. I mean, there is also, there was uh, Welcome Park on the PlayStation Vita. Oh, that's true. I forgot about Welcome Park. Yes, that is a valid thing that happened. There was a Platinum Trophy in that too. There was a Platinum? I thought it was just, there were trophies, but I don't remember there being a Platinum. Maybe it wasn't a Platinum. Um, By the way, I was looking earlier. Those bots are just called AR bots. According to- AR bots. Yeah, according to the Playroom Wikipedia, which is the original thing they appeared in. Hmm. Interesting. So, interesting. Um, uh, yeah. All right. Um, okay. So I'm going to f- take over for a little bit. Now you talked about Donkey Kong earlier, Cozy, because you're a big Donkey Kong fan. Well, I got to play as Donkey Kong a little bit myself in the new Mario Golf Super Rush. Actually, I played Ooh. it on stream this week um, with our uh, missing in action co-host Mitch George as he's finally done his move and fingers crossed will hopefully be coming back to the uh, podcast soon um, but yeah no we uh, had a good time playing some Mario Golf uh, now I really like the game but I have some criticisms of it as well um, so it's your standard three click golf system where you click it once to set your power and then once to hit how your swing follow through is going to be Actually, there isn't a third click in this one. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen how Donkey Kong swings a golf club. And that's um, certainly a choice. So, yep. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it would make sense. He's such a strong ape. He'd probably be able to do it with just one hand like that. But it just looks weird. Also, I think it's amazing how you had Donkey Kong queued up as the person I played as uh, for this clip when I made the transition to Donkey Kong or from Donkey Kong. So good on you. I didn't know that was going to happen uh, for the, yeah, for the audio listeners, Donkey Kong is actually playing on the clip on the screen. Um, it, so it's a good golf game. Um, it has a campaign mode, which is like maybe five or six hours that really just teaches you to how to play golf. It's very, very shallow. You walk through different areas of this golf area in the mushroom kingdom um, and kind of take on some quests and talk to trainers. Uh, and there's a whole lot of people around with word bubbles above them but the honest truth is they don't um, mean anything like they just have dialogue that's there and it does not further or impact your story in any fashion so um 
So yeah, the, the story mode is kind of like you get through it, you understand it, and then you have a pretty decent me uh, golfer that you can play the game with. So um, so that's kind of what's there. But then the bulk of it is that you're going to be doing this golfing. Now you can do two modes, which is your regular um, like just score based golf mode where it'll just take you to the next spot. Or you can do what this is, and this is speed golfing where you actually have to walk to or run or walk to the next to where your golf ball hit landed. Mm. So and you can dash and you got to conserve and get the hearts to speed up. Uh, so on the subject of which, yeah, I'm watching your footage right now. Yep. Um, Donkey Kong doesn't seem like he's dashing a whole lot, or 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 is this his dash animation? That's just his run. I don't know why I wasn't using the dash. So he does have a dash. Because I was going to mention, like Pauline and some of the other uh, characters that you're competing against are like whizzing across the battlefield, and Donkey Kong, by comparison, seems like he's moving real slowly. And then, like, I don't know if that was a quirk of Donkey Kong's character that he's very powerful, but also kind of lumbering, or if that was just something else I'm not really understanding about the game. No, you can. Uh, he has a dash. Maybe I just didn't use it in the thing. I can't remember exactly which one it was. Um, like Kimbo Bomb, when he dashes, his little Bobombs come underneath of him and carry him and leave like Bobombs behind him, where you kind of like goes into the air and i think it's a jetpack or he's farting one of the two you never know quite know he's definitely farting he's not smart enough to create a jetpack uh he's smart enough to steal one i mean that's true um i don't know aj do you think that is wario farting or is he using a jetpack to fly around the level i mean considering in smash brothers wario farts a lot probably farting he's he's got to be ripping ass He's leaving stains on the golf Quite course. Quite literally. Yeah. Ooh, Jesus. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, but yeah, we had a good time. Uh, TJ jumped in too. Um, so he, here's my pitch on Mario Golf. It's a shallow game right now. It's six courses long. Uh, it's got six courses. Uh, there's a little bit of variation in them with weather, but not a huge amount. The adventure mode doesn't amount to a lot. There's like in terms of unlockables, there isn't new characters to unlock, but you can unlock separate sets of clubs for them to use that are better, like by earning character points, just by playing as each character. So um, it sets you up in a um, like, it's just, it seems like a very shallow experience. Now they've said they'll be supporting it with DLC. What that looks like. We don't know. It's going to be free DLC apparently, or free updates. I believe their words were during that direct. So, um, and definitely there's a new Donk City course that will be added to the game. But in my mind right now, if you're looking at getting a golf game and you have a PlayStation, instead of Mario Golf at the moment, I'd maybe suggest investing your money in everybody's golf on the PlayStation 4. Mm. It just seems to be a better, more complete experience. Um, I've put over 200 hours into everybody's golf. It's for everybody, not just Mario. It's true um now right like the name if you want that whimsical style like with the mario characters uh i put this criticism online some people are like but everybody's golf's just generic this has mario characters and funny clothes i guess then that floats your boat but uh yeah so it, it's it's a good golf game but it's not the best i'm curious to see how nintendo does updates for it also, you get trophies if you play everyone's golf on your PlayStation consoles, and you do not get trophies if you play Mario Golf. Don't get me started on those trophies. 
Oh, you mean those achievement ripoffs? Fuck everybody's golf trophies. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I, I will say, without even having ever looked at the trophy list for everyone's golf, I can imagine the trophy list for that game being real hard. There's one trophy which requires you to unlock all the secret characters that are in the game, or secret challengers. And to get one of the challengers to be able to play them, you have to get three, I believe it's three, hole-in-ones on par fives which is the furthest mm. distance. Um, and there's one course that maybe you can do it in one one hole that you can potentially do it whenever you go online. It, I don't know if it's still like that because the community is very low now. But when you go mm. online, they'd be at this one hole and basically you had to shoot it across the river, hope your ball bounces off the water, goes over this hut, and then rolls into the hole to be able to get that. Wow. And you had to repeat that three times. Man. Um, to be able to do it. Uh the platinum on that game, I think it's it's probably like 1%, but it's stupid. And you just have people at this hole who would be constantly knocking their balls across because and then like running over with their shot with their golf carts, because you could then go into golf cart and zoom over there. Um, and then hope like yeah, it was just a nightmare. Anyways. I do uh, want to just get back to something you were mentioning earlier. You said repeatedly over and over, at least for now, you should check out uh everyone's golf on the playstation over mario golf like based on the way that you phrase that it suggests that you believe that nintendo is going to improve mario golf over time do you think that eventually mario golf will be at a place where you can say like oh man this one is totally a contender for the best golf game out there better or at least uh on the same level as everyone's golf no probably not I think so. Here's the deal: you can buy everybody's golf when it when everybody's golf launched. I think it was like fifty Canadian, forty US budget pricing, mm-hmm. but it was the right price for the right right title. Now you can buy for like twenty six ninety nine, where you're gonna pay seventy nine Canadian for Mario Golf. So like mm-hmm. right now, that's your better bane for your buck. If you're gonna if you're looking for a good golf game, and that's where I'd suggest you go at the current moment. Um, we'll see if like, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm enjoying my time with Mario golf. Um, but I don't know if it's an 80, we talk a lot about whether is, is this worth $80? That's become a big talking point. And I don't think it is. Hmm. So I think Nintendo's very much sticking to their, um, all of our stuff are like super strong games and we'll just continue to sell them at full price all the time. This really should have been like a lower price title. So, mm. um, and like, there's a very vague, here's our roadmap by just saying, we're going to do free updates and showing the new Donk City course, which kind of looks it's, terrible because it kind of looks like you have to bounce the ball off the buildings through the city. I mean, and that's that doesn't unique sound good and interesting. Right? That sounds unique and kind of interesting. I just would have liked to see like, here's our roadmap. We've got three new courses coming. We've got two new characters. Sure. So yeah. I, this is um, like, I don't know how either of you will feel about this, but looking at the game and, you know, listening and reading how people have described it thus far, like, I almost wonder if the game would have worked as like a free to play title, like strip mm-hmm. down the version that we got, you know, a little bit more and then release that as a free to play title and then, you know, piecemeal out the rest of its content could be interesting um 
I don't know if the characters play differently enough to warrant buying multiple characters. Maybe they do. Um, well, they've all had different things. Like that—that's an interesting. I mean, that that process. hasn't that hasn't stopped other free-to-play games in the past from you know pulling similar stuff. No, completely fair. Um, it would be an interesting strategy for Nintendo to try. I think the biggest takeaway here is that Camelot's been doing all of Nintendo sports games in the last, and like they've been doing them forever. Whether it's Mario Tennis or Mario Golf or I think they did Strikers. I could be wrong on that. Um, and it might be time to start holding them to a higher level of quality because both those tennis games, now the Switch tennis game, Aces? Is that right? Yeah, uh, I believe so. Yeah, Aces was on Switch. It was a different one on the Wii U. Um, were like Aces was better than the Wii U game because the Wii U game was critically panned. But um, just overall, uh, like the main criticism, and I haven't played the 3DS version, is that this is missing a ton of features that the 3DS version had. And it's like they went next gen and then forgot to bring half of the stuff with it. Hmm. So um, like tournaments and um, like there were 10 courses in the base 3DS game and there's six courses in the Switch game. So um, that's where I think a lot of other Mitch and TJ and I were talking about that during the stream, but like maybe people who are scoring this quite a bit lower too have played the 3ds version and know what they had in prior games. And that that's just not here this time. So yeah. uh, before we move on, just a quick little update. So Camelot is indeed the developer that's behind like most of, if not all of the prior Mario golf games, Mario tennis games, and so on and so forth. Next level games, uh, the developer behind um, Luigi's Mansion, Dark Moon, Luigi's Mansion 3, and other games was the developer behind uh, Super Mario Strikers and Strikers Charged. Oh, okay, cool. Good. All right, well, that answers that question. Also, fun side note is that... Uh, Camelot actually made the first everybody's golf. And then Nintendo Did got they? them to start doing the sports games. Um, and then that's right with, and I guess it would have been hot shots Two or everybody's golf Two. At that point, clap hands took over and turned it into what it is now. Wow. What a, what a weird origin story for that franchise. So yes, that they're like direct competition is the people who made it. <laughs> um so yeah uh we're running a little on in our what we've been talking about uh we've been going a little bit here i'm gonna save uh i've been playing miles morales but i'm gonna save that to next week uh cozy do you want to do a quick update on ff7 yeah sure just a real super duper quick update uh i beat final fantasy 7 uh episode intermission uh it was real satisfying and the you know uh, conclusion of the episode provided me with a very lengthy and satisfying cutscene that i think sets things up very very well for uh the next mainline episode of the final fantasy 7 saga while still you know keeping many questions in the air uh it's going to be a good ass time and i am looking forward to it sweet uh, no, that's good. I'm looking forward to Final Fantasy VII Episode Two Intercourse. So Intercourse? <laughs> I've not heard that one before. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, ha. AJ, you uh, has yeah. some various random games here. Anything specific yeah. you want to call out? Uh, yeah, one thing I'll call out is I spent a good chunk of last weekend uh, at Rachel's, um, and while she was um, busy sleeping, I decided to turn my phone on and... Uh, through the uh, Game Pass app, 
uh, get the final achievement in Outriders. Oh, sweet. Um, so that means I've technically, I've like you platinumed, platinumed, platinumed it. I've got the final Xbox achievement for it. Um, I, I, I think, I, I think what we should do, uh, just as an overall thing, if you get every achievement, you ha- you get an S rank. An S rank. I was going to say, this is a problem and Xbox needs to have something like this to say you have all the achievements because it's really easy to say you got the platinum. And everybody it, it knows, really is. It, it really is. Everybody knows what it is. And it's kind of nice to get that platinum trophy, like as that mm-hmm. final little bit. And it'd be nice yeah. if Xbox had like an equivalent thing. Yeah, it's just the, it's it's like the cherry on top. Yeah. yeah that's they, they took the achievement thing, right, which was it, trophies were absolutely an afterthought for PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they they took it and then they made it their own and they did that. And that's that's great. Good for them. Um, but yeah, I got the last one in Outriders, so, uh, by the sounds of the subreddit, it sounds like that game might be good again. Oh, okay. Um, well, they'd done some yeah. nerf and there were some tech issues with it, right? Some Connection ner- issues? There was some tech issues, um, uh, they did some nerfing that a lot of people didn't like. Yeah. And they're liking the current changes in the subreddit, so I don't know, it might be good again. But I've got all the achievements, so why would I keep playing? Well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Okay, cool. Well, let's then segue into our topic of the show. Um, and to, so we, we don't discuss a lot of news anymore, but I thought this would be interesting. So uh, it was announced yesterday that Sony has acquired Housemark, um, a studio that they've had a long relationship work with. Like pretty much almost all Housemark games have come out on PlayStation almost exclusively. There's one or two that, that have gone multi-platform, but... I'd probably say like 90% yeah. of the catalog has been PlayStation games. We should specify this is like since the year 2007 when they released Super Stardust HD. Because yes. prior to that, they were primarily like a PC-centric developer. Okay. Um, yeah, no, 100%. So for like the past like 15 years, they've yeah, been primarily basically. on PlayStation with one or two things outside of that. Um, and this is, a uh, housemark is a company that a lot of people hold dear, near and dear because of their arcade roots. Like I still think Resogun is one of the best PS4 games, um, that has come out on that system and it was a launch title. Um, mm. uh, but that being said, they had to stop making arcade games and they put out a blog post years ago saying that arcade is dead and they business will not like people aren't buying the games and they can't continue to make them. So it left them in an interesting position where they had to do other things to be able to, and they were working on a battle Royale, I believe of some sort um, that got put on the back burner. Um, Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, never mind. Storm something. I can't Uh, remember uh, the name. I'm trying to do real time information myself so I can help back up what you're saying, but Mm -hmm. Uh, turns out Housemark's Wikipedia page and not very super in detail. If anybody uh, is responsible for editing the Wikipedia pages of PlayStation's uh, first party studios, better get onto it. Storm Divers. It was called Storm Storm Divers. Divers. There we go. I was like, I knew it had Storm and it's a Battle Royale game and it's still not launched. They put that on the back burner because the Sony created the relationship for them to develop Returnal. Which I think has panned out well. Returnal has been very positively received. Uh, for the most part, there's definitely one or two sticking points and issues that uh, like no internal safe system. Um, but yeah. uh, it's it's turned out well. And so Sony's finally decided to purchase Housemark, which I'm sure has been 
uh, long time standings. In fact, if you go back 10 years listening to podcasts or maybe seven or eight years after Resogun came out, you'd probably hear that most pundits on podcasts saying, well, Sony is going to buy Housemark, uh, like 10 years ago. So, um, it's, it's a surprise to see it come so late cause they had their independence and they wanted their independence, but this puts them in an interesting position where now they have been purchased and are financially set to be able to create what they want to create. And they don't have to worry about that. But then that brought me thinking, like we've seen a ton of consolidation within the industry, um, whether it be Microsoft, Microsoft's made huge studio acquisitions. Then we've seen reverse acquisitions like uh, Square buying IO Interactive, the creators of Hitman, and then letting them go and be their own thing again. Hmm. So, hmm. Um, which is an interesting uh, bit to like piece t- uh, to this puzzle as well. So, um, I was curious what your guys' thoughts were on this like arms race almost. And like, so the rumor is, by the way, that not only are they acquiring Housemark, but Sony Japan accidentally tweeted a picture with their congratulating Housemark on being bought. But in the picture, it said uh, that it was Sony. And then it had the Blue Point logo. So the current theory is that they are also buying Blue Point and it hasn't been announced yet. So, um, so yeah. Um, and then, so anyways, I was curious on your guys' thoughts on these acquisitions. Like we see other, and it's not just Sony and Microsoft. We see Nintendo occasionally, it's not as often, but they do invest. Did they not buy the Luigi's Mansion developer? Uh, next yes, level. they purchased, yep. Yeah, they purchased next level games last year, I believe. Yes. Last year. So that's still pretty recent. Um, and we've seen EA, um, and less so Activision, but we've seen EA do the same thing and bring other publishers on and I was curious what your guys thoughts are and what does this mean for the industry? And is it good for the like developers slash publishers? Cause there's pros and cons to this. Jumping off the uh, Nintendo stuff, you know, it's interesting. Like, I don't know if we can take Nintendo's acquisition of next level games as being a trend because uh, previously, I believe that the last developer that Nintendo purchased was Monolith Software in 2007, I want to say. Basically a real long time ago. Uh, But that's not to say that it's not a trend either. Um, You know, it's interesting right here. I have pulled up on IGN an article from many years ago that I remembered. This is uh, an article titled always independent, the story of insomniac games. And basically it was written by IGN's Colin Moriarty at the time going through and talking about the history of the uh, storied uh, now Mm -hmm. uh, first party PlayStation developer. And like, I feel like during the previous console generation, during the late uh, Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 era, early PS4, Xbox One era, like the story very much was like, yeah, like we're independent and we're proud that we're independent because we appreciate the uh, flexibility that it grants us. Uh, We appreciate being able to, you know, slip over to the 360 and uh, release a game there. We appreciate being able to schlep over to the PlayStation ecosystem, release a game there. Uh, independence is great. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how over the course of the past few years, like I feel like not to say that the narrative has completely reversed, but like, I feel like there's been a kind of heavy dose of reality that's been injected into all of this, where you see so many developers now be like, yeah, independence is great. 
but we can't afford to, you know, be independent and also produce games of the same level that we want to make as well. And I think that, you know, right off the front, that's, you know, an important thing to point out in talking about these acquisitions, which is that, you know, by Insomniac being purchased by Sony, by um, Double Fine being purchased by Microsoft, uh, these studios are able to kind of continue to kind of really give it their all and theoretically make games, you know, of the same level of quality that they've been making all these years, if not greater, without the kind of uh, worry or, you know, stressing out about, uh, man, are we about to end up on the chopping block if things don't totally pan out? Because we have, you know, Microsoft's pockets that we can now reach into helping keep us afloat. Well, yeah. And uh, sorry, AJ, we'll come to you in two seconds. But yeah. when you like when you bring up Microsoft and the developer that just jumped out right out my uh, right out when you say that is Double Fine, because Double Fine has put out really interesting independent games. But um have the sales been where they wanted to did a brutal like i don't think anything they've made has been a sales success they've had great luck with kickstarter and that's how they got mm. um oh the name of it's slipping my head uh the, it's the adventure the point and click adventure game I, uh I, yeah i broken know what you're age. talking about sorry broke broken age broken age broken age yes uh part one and part two but that was even to a point where they like needed a long time to finish part two uh, excellent game by the mm. way if you haven't played broken age broken age is a great game to go play and that's all i'm going to say about that but like being bought by microsoft like they love their independence and um tim schaefer has been on the record saying that being bought by microsoft has taken the worries about what like how are they going to get their next paycheck and they've been able to focus on creating games and i'm curious to see what that looks like when psychonauts 2 comes out in august which is something they've been so, working on so aj sorry you, you go ahead yeah one one more anecdote in that exact same vein. If you go back to episode twenty six, when my friend Ben was on, mm. he mentioned uh, specifically um, the reason why Airborne Kingdom went uh, when it with its uh, PC release in December went exclusive to the Epic Game Store was for that exact same reason. Epic approached them and basically said, "Hey, listen, take all the time you need, make it good." And, you know, we'll, we'll just, they basically just funded the game yeah. and all they wanted was exclusivity. Right. So that's what they did. They, they went with that and they were able to launch uh, airborne kingdom successfully because of it. Um, they probably would have still done just fine on steam. They probably would have hit an even bigger audience on steam, mm -hmm. but the, the priority, like it's not, on a from a developer standpoint it's not about you know wanting a payout and being greedy no it's about wanting your basic human needs met first and then you get to do the thing you want to do yeah a hundred percent and like there's like a negative side to this too and we've seen this um i'm trying to think of who bad examples are of who do purchases i mean but i mean bethesda from the perspective of it really limiting where people can play Bethesda's games. Yeah, I guess let's I talk about the Bethesda acquisition because sure. So, and so I I'm now have all consoles and I can play games anywhere. So this does not affect me as much as it did when this first came out. But to me, I find the relationship that Sony takes with its studios before they purchases them because they seem to really build a relationship and work with them a bunch before they make those purchases. Um. 
whether that's insomniac like or naughty dog or um uh media molecule when they like when they make these acquisitions they have worked with these studios it's not just out of nowhere um and bethesda seemed like a we're buying it just to beef up our catalog because and well there was a history with microsoft and bethesda um a hundred percent like when you're looking at oblivion being a console exclusive um they've been multi-platform for 10 15 years Mm -hmm. on all systems Mm -hmm. um and i guess like it does uh, there's still a lot of hurt like hurt fanboys about it who aren't going to be able to play games like and we talked about the p hines apology two weeks ago yeah, yeah, something like that. Played it live on air. Yeah. 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 So uh, uh I I would recommend um listening to the most recent episode of IGN's podcast Unlocked with uh Phil Spencer. Oh, I haven't listened to um, that yet. Phil, I'm gonna put that on my yeah, list. Yeah. Um Ryan McCaffrey, Dustin Legary, um and I Miranda I, Sanchez. Miranda Sanchez, I believe. Yep. Um yeah, uh, they're talking to uh phil spencer and you know they ask him kind of all these questions um now back in january the is it the ceo uh of bethesda uh passed away i I forget his name Um, yeah and they were in talk they were like they were you we may not have seen like the relationship uh between uh Uh, robert and bethesda but yeah yeah um we 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 may not have seen necessarily the relationship between xbox and bethesda the corporations on the outside like we do playstation and and their uh some of their studios um but you know phil talks about uh the relationship that they had personally with the people who who ran these companies and and what would be you know what what each other's vision was and and, you know and what they wanted from whatever this may be um one negative thing that that i would um (laughs) kind of like to relate it to uh there was a reddit post that i saw um uh it was posted like over a year ago at this point Mm -hmm. um and the title is 11 companies that own nearly every product in the grocery store mm. right yeah uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna copy this image cozy and i'm gonna put it in the podcast chat coke and pepsi are um, there yeah um and it's actually kind of mind-blowing and when people say negative things about acquisitions this is kind of what makes it kind of worrisome in a way mm-hmm. um you know for example uh you know, there's 11 companies around that outside circle. Um, it, to pull, pull your car over if you're listening to this. Pull up the YouTube video and, and take a look at this graphic at this time mark here. Um, you probably weren't driving anywhere important You anyways. were probably not. Yeah, no. Yeah. You, whatever. Uh, but yeah, there are 11 companies um, that basically own everything, right? And who would have thought Kraft and Heinz are the same company? I didn't know that, actually. Kraft yeah little things like that yeah uh, um like and the fact that none of these are surprising to me beyond that like and like their wide vast like ownership but it's just when you see this like this it really puts it in perspective mm-hmm. it really does put it in perspective so if you imagine that that outer ring is like 
like platform holders, right? Mm -hmm. And then inside there would be the developers that they have. You know, it. You know, it 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 can be worrisome because at at what point do we draw the line here and say that hey, you know what, there might be a bit of a monopoly. Hmm. Right? Talking yeah. about it also like more in terms of uh, practical terms, in terms of like how this can materially affect uh, the games that we play. You know, you fear that you might end up in a Ubisoft style situation where there is a period of time where it felt like every single Ubisoft game was cut and paste the same. You know, mm -hmm. jump up the tower, scan your environment around you, collect the things. You know, do this and that open world style game, and you you do kind of look at you know microsoft for example and you wonder like oh man you know are we going to see a lot of the design of microsoft's you know many games across the many cities it now owns be very kind of consolidated uh in sony for example you know we've talked a lot about how you know as of recent a lot of sony games tend to follow the uh template of all being these you know very uh glossy third-person action-adventure games, be it Uncharted, be it Days Gone, be it The Last of Us, be it so on and so forth. So much so that there was an article that came out from Jason Schreier where he was talking about how the many studios within Sony are kind of buckling from that. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I think that's you know something else to kind of factor into this conversation as well. Well, and then you get like... so So we've talked about like it when their purchases it like may deprive certain people of because they just don't have those consoles to be able to play those games but from like there is when you get bought potential of losing your freedom too because it's nice having that freedom to be able to make whatever game you want look look at ea yeah and the the com and the other smaller companies that they've bought and just dismantled yep or just, it activision and or how activision. they're doing call of duty support uh, yeah, or Blizzard like, support. Hmm. Exactly, right? Uh, so I, I look at something like Tony Hawk Underground or to, uh, Tony Hawk Remake 1 2. Um, mm -hmm. And why is there no 3 yet? Come on. Yeah, well, because they're working on Diablo 2 Resurrected. And yeah. under the, like, they're officially under the Blizzard umbrella now. Mm -hmm. which makes me like they move them over to blizzard and that's where i was just checking their wikipedia page and it actually says they are part of blizzard games now so they've moved them over there but like you, you lose freedom on what you want to do and there's a chance where you could just become a support studio um yeah not doing what you want to be doing at all and this uh these scenarios that you're describing uh, don't seem to have happened as commonly at microsoft and sony studios no. but you do have stuff like for example, in the Jason Schreier, Schreier uh, Bloomberg article, uh, him talking about how um, the developer behind Days Gone, Sony Bend, Bend yeah. was, you know, kind of pushed to work on Naughty Dog related projects. And uh, thankfully, they were able to kind of escape that and are now working on their own thing. But there was a brief period of time where it seems like they could have just become a satellite studio for the uh, Santa Monica powerhouse. And, you know, that would have been too bad. When there was talk, like, I think in that Schreier article, they were joking how they were like Naughty Dog South or something or Naughty Dog. Naughty Dog. They would be Naughty Dog North because Oregon North, is yes. definitely, definitely North of California. Yeah, that's probably completely correct. I don't know my American yep. geography, but that 100% checks out. West Coast, Best Coast. Yeah. yeah. Fun fact, Hawaii, like way more in the South than you would think it would be. 
I feel like a lot of maps, you look at Hawaii and it looks like it's more or less parallel uh, with the other states of the United States, but it's actually way more in the South. So, and like, look, and like when we talk Sony 2 and what we've seen, um, but I think like when you look at Sony and what they've let Media Molecule do, you know they get a ton of freedom because like Media Molecule has been working on dreams for how long now? Hmm. Uh, yeah, a long time. So, um, yeah, like they, they've been working on dreams and they're apparently doing something where they've started making another game in dreams and they're going to let people finish it from the dreams community. So mm. I, I have, um, I've not paid particularly close attention to dreams since I purchased it on a lark last year and played around a little bit with it. My understanding is that they've released another like game of the same caliber and size as art stream correct i don't know i'd have to go back and look actually i'm in a very similar position to you are they're they're making other they're making fresh new content and polished content uh, for that platform but i'm not mm -hmm. I, I can't speak authoritatively in what they're doing i know there's a lot of really interesting stuff in dreams that's available to play um and really you know cozy you and i should do a deep dive into dreams one day for an episode. Sure. I mean, like I said, I've not played it a lot recently, but I, I'd be more than happy to talk about it. We well, All I'm saying is that maybe we have a week where we just play a bunch of games in dreams based on recommendations, then come back and talk about them. Yeah, and where I mean, we think I'll, the state of dreams is. I'll, I will. I'm guilty admitting it, but I'll, during the early days of dreams, uh, I will admit that I spent a lot of time just searching up like Mario, Sonic, The Legend of Zelda, all the like popular IP and seeing what people had created. Um, mm -hmm. Some of their creations, not that bad. I, I, I still see posts on like Kotaku and the like nowadays talking about this like one Sonic mod they've been working on in dreams. That's apparently pretty good. So uh, I, I know there's dreams awards, the dreamies, I believe. Yes. The out. dreamies. So maybe yeah. we look at and play like the top, like the six games that were up for game of the year in the dreamies. Cause those should be the best of the best in the community. Um, just an interesting topic point for, and uh, like for us to come back to down the line. Um, for sure. uh, anyways, so side tangent off. So we're like, we're talking about like the good, the bad. So we talked about how they get their financial, like, they're financially ind not independent, but they're don't have to worry about finances anymore when they're being bought. And that's a huge positive. And the studio heads have come out and said that um, making games is more expensive than it used to be. Um, and I think there is a workload balance between what people want from a AAA game now and what they get from an indie game. Although that is starting to blur, I think, a little bit again. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Because there are different expectations in what you're going to get out of, like, like let's talk Biomutant, which was, I think, made by a small team of 20 people. Um, yeah. And I believe they are not owned by uh, THQ Nordic, but THQ Nordic published the game. Yeah. Um, if if I remember correctly. So, Correct. Um, uh, Experiment 101, is that the name of them? Yeah, Experiment 101, which does not have their own Wikipedia page. So you know that they're pretty small and obscure. So they created a pretty tiny, like a pretty big game, but it was developed by 20 people, but it was kind of torn apart when it was released. Um, 
so what are you like, would they be better under an umbrella? Cause like, there's two ways I think about something like Biomutant, where number one, they, if they don't have to worry about the numbers a little bit, they can wait longer to release it potentially depending upon the publisher's calendar, maybe. But number two, they can get a little more guidance in the game development. Cause that's something that I think um, the collaboration aspects, which we haven't talked about, like with Sony specifically, because the Sony studios talk to each other a lot when they're doing their development. I assume Microsoft's probably going to be getting to that, but I don't know if they have that same familiarity. But I know the Sony projects talk a lot when they're creating games and try and figure everything out. Hmm. Yeah, I, um, you know, it's funny, the moment you talked about, you know, collaboration, and how that can really help these experiences. I don't know why, but my mind actually went to an example of how collaboration go, can go awry. And okay. uh, specifically, something like uh, Bioware within EA and how, uh, because Bioware was purchased by EA, the studio was kind of, I don't want to say pushed, but convinced to adopt the Frostbite engine for yeah. Um, it's games post Dragon Age 2. And, you know, that didn't exactly prove as beneficial to all the parties involved as they think they wanted it to be, uh, to put it mildly. I, and go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know if that's necessary collaboration, though. I think that's an edict from EA telling them that they have to use this engine. I, I did a I did a video essay on the development of Dragon Age three a while ago. Okay. It was more like it was more collaborative actually than a lot of oh, people. Was it? Okay. Wanna, well, it was kind of a, a thing where like they wanted to really update the engine for the Dragon Age series following Dragon Age two because it was just really like old and decrepit and like built on like you know code bases from years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And EA was like, hey, you know. Uh, you guys want to update your thing. You know, we have this uh, developer over in Sweden working on this engine that we think might work out. And it was only kind of after the fact that they realized like, uh, this is not as great going as we thought it was going to be. Okay. Once again, uh, refer to episode 26. uh, Yeah. The interview with Ben. He, uh, I actually, actually, I was just watching uh, that randomly the other day. Um, uh, he where he goes into detail about uh, his work on Frostbite and uh, what he the cha- some of the challenges he faced doing that with regards to Dragon Age Inquisition. That's mm. completely fair. I actually now that you brought that up, I do remember that. Um, yeah. I know that a lot of developers struggled using um, dr- struggled using the Frostbite, Frostbite engine because I know like it was like the catch-all multi-purpose game like so much so that their engine that they even use in the PGA Tour game that came out. Um, yeah, which maybe wasn't the right fit for that, but EA wanted to consolidate all in one engine and they didn't want to pay fees for Unreal or um, it. It was it was a game. It was a game engine that was designed to be for first person um shooters essentially and like i if i remember correctly he, uh ben was saying something along the lines of like when he got his hands on it there were still parts uh like like you still had to drop in in first person and move some things around mm-hmm. that way mm. um like yeah it it was a bit of a nightmare uh but you know he they made it work i guess okay okay um yeah 100 um so i guess 
like, where do we fall on the consolidation? Because really that's like, we've talked about the positives, we've talked about the negatives, and there's definitely, they're on both sides of the aisle. We've seen cases where it's great and we've seen cases where it's terrible. What do you guys think of this? I know, AJ, you were just talking about the worry about monopolizing the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, is that where you kind of stand with it? No. Um, I, actually, oddly enough, I kind of fall onto the opposite okay. side of it um, because I've only seen kind of good at this point in terms of video games and stuff. Only good things come from that um, for the, you know, the things like the EA buying up and Activision buying things up and just dismantling them um, aside. Uh, it's for me, I consider it an investment in, in the people okay. to be able to do what they were trained to do. And you're not just going to find that, that money from anywhere. It's the money has to come from somewhere if these people are going to be able to do the thing that they want to do. Um, and so it's, it, it's a really good, it's, it's just a good investment and not in like the corporate sense, but I'm, I'm looking at the value that even investment in our own infrastructure in the world um, you know, whether it be roads and water, water lines and stuff like that, mm-hmm. how much that matters. So I, th- that's, that's the place that I see it. It's, it's that sort of investment, not like an investment where, Oh, I'm going to make money from this. No, it's an investment because I, I want to make the, the thing I want to make. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm kind of on the theory where, um, it, it depends upon what those studios needs are. And if they can continue to be independent and they're making enough money 100%, but if it's stifling their creativity and they can't make it or they're not going to survive well, or they think it's a partnership that's beneficial to them, then go for it. But I think it's case when, by case. And, and when it comes to platform-specific purchases like that, um, it ab- like I don't know how big of a difference it makes, but having to only focus on one platform, you can you can just put all of your resources into that instead of having to split it. Um, like we saw in like the early um, 360 PS3 generation where, you know, Xbox was in the lead at that point. Yeah. Yes. Um, but even on the developer side, um, they, it because it was so much easier to develop for, the 360 became um, the the lead platform on pretty much every single uh, multi-platform game, right? Mm-hmm. And so as a result, that just sort of ended up making the the Xbox version better in that generation Yep. for the most part. Um, my experience with that was things like, like Oblivion where the load times were atrocious on PS3 and really good on Xbox or... Uh, Mass Effect 2, when that came out, the lighting was just so completely different um, between the two platforms. So. Yeah. Well, no, and 100%. And actually, that's a valid point, which we didn't even talk about. It, like, just being able to develop for one system. I mean, look what Naughty Dog has done with the PS4. Mm. Um, and what, like, what some of the first-party titles they've been, like, what they've been able to do out of that system, because it's the only system they're developing for. 
mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. where you don't get that same consistency potentially out of something that's multi-console for what you just mentioned, AJ. Um, mm-hmm. Like they're splitting resources and having to dedicate and like, um, especially like when you talk that P- PS3 360 area with the cell infrastructure and the x86 infrastructure and how different mm-hmm. they were at the time to develop for. Um, you're splitting your resources where if you've only got the one um, place you're developing for, it is going to make everything yeah, look better. look at something like like the original like Uncharted trilogy. They only had to focus on PS3. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So they could learn that they they learned that more complicated system and then that the those games are still gorgeous. Yeah, right? 100%. I, I believe last year I talked about how I went back and played um the PlayStation 3 version of the original The Last of Us uh in the lead up yes. to the release of The Last of Us Part 2. And that game still looks real, real great on the PlayStation 3, even after all these years. A little dated in certain areas, but still amazing because Naughty Dog was able to, yeah, work up the console's um, ladder in that sense. Well, and even you've seen that, like, um, the the example I always bring up, too, is at the end of the PS2 lifecycle, when the PS3 had launched, God of War 2 came out on the PS2. And it was mm-hmm. getting every single piece of thing it could out of the PS2. But once again, that was a first party game that they had all the time in the world to learn how to develop for that system and learn its intricacies. So, yeah, that familiarity is going to like and I think Pete Hines. Um, what show was I listening to? It was uh, the I think it was the X cast actually on kind of funny. And they had Pete Hines and yes, um, Adam, somebody else from Microsoft. Adam- something adam something no it's not master chief yep it was master chief 100 percent fusion Uh, frenzy himself aaron greenberg aaron greenberg that's it Um, i was close i had the a yeah and like they were just talking about how beneficial like this was going to be for them um and how it is going to make things easier and you're going to see better products out of it because they only have to design for one um one system although i do kind of have to wonder because obviously games that were in development were in development for both systems and how much they dropped oh. um, like was just like wasted potential because I in think a 20 lo- years in 20 years, we'll see a leaked, a leaked build of that version something. Yeah, because there is a PS4 or PS5 version of um, uh, uh, Star. I'm blanking Field. on it. Starfield. Uh, there is that somewhere. They were obviously working on it before this buyout. So yeah, hmm. um, and uh, now that's just in the garbage. I, I do want to say to kind of state my opinion on the matter. I um, I, I think you know everything that you said uh, about the kind of positive um, effects of these acquisitions is uh, true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, yeah, you can definitely, there's definitely a lot to be gained both financially and design wise from getting acquired by some of these uh, bigger companies. But I just, I guess when it comes down to it, I just wish that we were living in a reality where I feel like developers felt like they had a little bit more choice. It feel it strikes me that we're living in a world where you basically don't kind of have any choice now in the matter with regards to uh, your independence. And I remember again, during the uh, early uh, 2010s, during the, you know, uh, late 360 PlayStation three era, early PS4, 
Xbox One era where it really felt like you could kind of be whatever kind of developer you wanted to be. You could be independent or you could be uh, acquired. You could kind of make whatever you wanted to work work with you. Um, during that era, you saw Kickstarters, uh, you know, run a plenty. We talked about that a little bit earlier. We saw Double Fine uh, make huge buck uh, off of a Kickstarter campaign that led to the creation of um broken age uh we saw uh obsidian lead a huge mm. uh, kickstarter campaign that led to the creation of pillars of eternity one uh and fast forward you know uh, a console generation later both those developers are like yeah uh, that was all fun but we just can't live off of you know that uh model anymore now we have to be acquired yep. and again yeah i i think that both those developers will are probably destined to still uh create great games and you know uh hopefully uh not be too uh uh critic uh, creatively limited uh by microsoft over the course of the uh next several years but it, it's too bad that it seems like they kind of found themselves in a rut where like being acquired was their only recourse but yeah. maybe i'm maybe i'm mischaracterizing it ultimately i don't uh, I can't claim to speak for any of these development studios. You have to imagine that there are some that are totally very enthusiastic about the prospect of being acquired by some of these developers. And so, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think that's a fitting endpoint. Like, I think we've all talked about where we stand um, and like that. It's probably good. Um, but I think there is worry. And what does this make the game industry look like in a while? And does this continue There's to, cause studios to buy like is microsoft going to continue on a buying spree um and purchasing studios i've like i would like they, to think that they're slowing down or s slow down for now because part of what made sony's first party so strong is that they kind of like developed and mentored these studios naughty dog wasn't naughty dog over like one night it took games um, to get them there and working with them um and getting them to the studios that they became and Microsoft now has to do that as well with those with like with all their recent acquisitions. Hmm. So, yep. AJ, your thoughts? Um, yeah, uh, I think honestly, like when it comes to like Microsoft buying stuff, mm -hmm. I think they've done a good job since Phil Spencer took over. Um, yes. It hurts potential PlayStation players, but they've done a very good job at turning the ship right around and becoming the more consumer-friendly um, option. Yep. And the most consumer-friendly option is uh, right now is Game Pass, and if if that me if more acquisitions mean that I don't have to shell out 90 bucks uh, for something I may or may not like, then great. I, 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 I'm I, absolutely I, all for it. I, I want to apologize because for a second I thought you were queuing up into a joke, AJ. Nope, not this time. Okay, not this time. <laughs> not this time. All right. You there? Nathan seems idea. very confused. There was a, a viral joke on Twitter where people were basically talking about how like, oh man, uh, it's totally insane <laughs> that people Queuing think that we're 
uh, advertising paid. for Xbox Game Pass oh, for yes. free, but not as insane as the value prospect of Xbox Game Pass. Yeah. And I thought AJ was about to do the same thing. I, I I was thinking about it, but I it's not it's not the vaccine hitting me yet. But it's uh, it's it's waking up at five a.m. and going to work that's hitting me now. So friend of the show. I mean, um, uh, Mr. Badbit Joe from the Trophy Room was actually quoted one of those in a Kotaku article for his. That's right. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Now that you think about it, is that the true purpose of the vaccines? Is it to get us all talking about Xbox Game Pass? I mean, think about it. You you compare the Venn diagram of people that have been vaccinated to people on Twitter talking about Xbox Game Pass. And you got yourself a pretty perfect circle right there. That's fair. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe yeah, the plot thickens. Um, Who can say. Okay, so I feel like we've run the course of this episode. So why don't we? Uh, unless, do you guys have any other final thoughts? No. 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 I I, I will say selfishly that I do hope that Nintendo continues to you know, work together with Mercury Steam because uh, they did pretty good stuff with Metroid Samus Returns and it seems like they're going to go on to do great stuff with Metroid Dread and I hope that they continue to make good stuff together but I don't want to, you know, I- impede on what Mercury Steam wants to do next. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right. Well, um, thank you for tuning into this episode of Press YYZ. If you enjoyed what you just heard, be sure to share and subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on Twitch. You can check us out at Press YYZ on Twitter to stay up to date with when we go live and join us in Discord at invite.gg slash PressYYZ to keep the conversation going. We'd love to have you there. Next week's topic is TBD. That's the disease from Arrested Development, right? That they were raising yep, money for, that- TBD? Yep, that's the one. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. So we're going to be discussing that disease. Um, Until then, thank you for playing.